everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me today, I got Ethan Tate, aka his last episode of the podcast, where he will be an engaged man. Biggie, how you doing today, man? I'm good. How you doing? I'm I'm doing pretty all right. Are you excited for the big day tomorrow? For those of you who don't know, Ethan is going to be getting married tomorrow. So congratulations to him. You know, shout give him some love on social media. Congratulate him and his beautiful fiance. Cause we just love to see black folks in love. It's such a beautiful sight. Another thing we love to see is sports. So today we're going to talk the latest NFL draft trades and what they have what they mean for impending teams. We want to talk to NBA and if Russell Will Westbrook's legacy really is diminished because he is not an NBA champion. And then we're going to have a shortened WWE uh, section where we just make our predictions for NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theexreport.net. I repeat, theexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Like I mentioned, we're going to talk the latest NFL trade, which was the San Francisco 49ers moving up to get the third overall pick trading with the Miami Dolphins, where the Dolphins at the time received the 12th overall pick, a third round pick, and a 2022 and a 2023 first round pick. Then shortly thereafter, it was announced that they were making a trade with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, And so in this trade, the Eagles will receive the 12th overall pick, a fourth overall pick, and a 2022 first round pick, whereas the Dolphins are going to be moving back up to the sixth round pick and get a fifth round pick. So let's kind of break this down for each team, starting with the San Francisco 49ers starting things off with their current quarterback Jimmy G now since the trade went down Niners uh, GM John Lynch has said we want to make this trade but we don't want to say goodbye to Jimmy G and then another quote was that they'd be willing to trade him only if the offer was special so Ethan do you anticipate Jimmy G being traded ahead of the draft I do because the reality of it is is you don't make a trade of that magnitude to not take a quarterback. And we all know that when big trades in the top top ten picks are made, it's to get in position to try to get a quarterback that you want that you think somebody else might try to get before you. So I definitely think either he will be traded before or on draft night he will be traded. I'm in total agreement with you. I think he'll be traded as well, if not for any other reason. But what's the point of keeping him? You can save a lot of cap space now by getting his contract off the books, get him moved. You can go ahead and get the ball rolling with the new quarterback because let's be honest, no offense to Jimmy G, but with his injury history, it will be a shock if he actually plays the full season. So I just say get the ball rolling. Why rush it? I mean, and also they have a pretty solid roster, a team with a really good defense when healthy, a nice run game. So whatever quarterback you get, you're going to be in a nice position. But that then begs the question, who's the quarterback? Now, we kind of talked about it um, a bit before with regards to the top quarterback prospects. Um, I released my latest mock draft earlier in the week where – even though it was a tough decision, I have them getting Mac Jones third overall. Do you agree, or do you think that they go in a different direction at quarterback? I think 
he he presents an element that they don't have that they haven't had in a while, which is an athletic quarterback. They can they already have a dominant run game, so just imagine having a quarterback that you can do zone reads with and options and option plays with to open the offense up even more. So I think if he's available, and he also can sling it, so it's not like he's a bad thrower. So I think they might go um, Justin Fields, but if he's taken, I can see them going Mac Jones. I can see that. I think that personally, I think the first two picks are pretty much solidified. Solidified. I'm sorry with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, and then from then on, it's just a, it's just a matter of which quarterback is next. I think that's where the real confusion gets started. Um, but I could see Justin Fields being there. Personally, I think that Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Mac Jones. I just think that with all the hype that Mac Jones has been getting as of late, I think that that's really going to boost up his draft stock. Um, but all right, so another team affected by the trade, the Philadelphia Eagles, who, as we know, were previously at the sixth overall pick. But reports were coming out that not only are they wary of uh, Jalen Hurts being their starter long term, but also they were trying to get Zach Wilson. They were trying to move up to get him. However, they felt like they weren't going to be able to make that move, and so they traded down. Another player that was also potentially in play for the sixth overall pick was Jamar Chase, but he's recently been getting linked to the Cincinnati Bengals. So looking at it from a quarterback perspective, do you think that the Eagles are going to spend a high draft pick on another quarterback, or do you think they're going to try to stand pat with Jalen Hurts? I think that if they want to bring structure to their organization, that they should stick with Jalen Hurts. But I also know that Jalen Hurts has some flaws to his game. Like he isn't that great of a passer. He he yeah, he isn't that great of a passer. And sometimes he can misread the defense. And maybe if they were if they are that concerned about it, they can go and draft another quarterback. But it's also, in my opinion, why attempt to draft another quarterback when you can potentially sign a free agent? What you mean? They signed the greatest, the most elite quarterback of all time, Joe Flacco. What other quarterback do you need on the roster? Man, look, Joe Flacco <laughs> only got hyped after that one playoff run and he was trash ever since. Not in the playoffs, though. I will give Joe this. He balls in the playoffs. But if I, if you ever need an example of going all out during a contract year, just look at Joe Flacco. Because that man made so much money and we lost so many people after. That, that Super Bowl was a great high and another low. But it's all good. Joe Flacco not on my team anymore, so forget him. But I, I, I'm in agreement with you. I think the only thing that would kind of question the structure is they do have a new head coach. And so he may want to bring in his own guy. There were also reports that the Eagles front office really wasn't all that impressed with what Jalen Hurts did um, in his game starting, which I can kind of believe. So right now it's kind of up in the air with regards to what the Eagles will do. Personally, I wouldn't do it. I think that there are too many holes on that team to focus on a quarterback. Pretty much my the same thing I was saying last year. And so I think that you want to bring in another uh, pass catching talent, whether that be a receiver um, who will potentially be there at twelve, or maybe what'd you say? Oh yeah, Kyle Pitts exactly. Go if you want to go tight end route. You still need a linebacker. You need another corner. Like you still need a lot of stuff on defense to just mortgage 
a pretty hot pick on a quarterback. But, all right, but before we move on from this trade topic, I'm happy you mentioned Kyle Pitts. So let's say you are the Miami Dolphins sitting at six. You have Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts on the board. Which one are you taking? Oh, this is tough, but I think I will go with Kyle Pitts because we all know that tight ends are a quarterback's best friend, and he he can be a security blanket for Tua. Like he can cover up some mistakes from Tua because he will always be open across the middle of the field, and he's also versatile enough to where you can split him out out wide and he can make plays out wide. I know, in my opinion, Jamar Chase is the better player, but I think just for the aspect of, you know, giving Tua a security blanket, I will go with Kyle Pitts. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I will go Jamar Chase. Even though, don't get me wrong, it is a real star, strong argument with regards to Kyle Pitts, but I would go Jamar just because we have that consistency. We know when he was on the field what he could do, and Kyle Pitts was amazing like his last year in Florida, but before, it was kind of a slow burn. And the NFL game is a very different game than in college, especially with the past season of college football with shorter schedules and a whole bunch of hoopla. It was a lot going on. So I think that I'll say this, week one, who I feel like can have the bigger impact quicker, I would say Jamar Chase. While Kyle Pitts, I think, is going to be a tremendous player. I mean, after his pro day, he said that he felt like he'll be the best to ever play tight end, which I think is a stretch because you haven't seen the NFL field yet. But I do like the confidence. But I would go Jamar Chase, if not for any other reason, but I feel like he can have a bigger impact early on. All right, but keeping with our draft talk, let's talk Washington football team who, despite signing Ryan Fitzpatrick, who played a big role in the Dolphins' success last year and getting some late-game heroics from Tyler Heineke, Taylor Heineke, um, it seems that Washington has not necessarily ruled out drafting a quarterback even as high as the first round. Ethan, do you see them getting a quarterback round one, or do you think that they should look elsewhere? I think if, I think if one of the top talent guys is still available, maybe – I don't know exactly which pick they have. Oh, uh, they have the 19th. No, they made the playoffs. I think it's the 21st pick. 20 or 21st. Well, if that's the case, I don't really – I see it's a major drop-off right after the next top guy, so maybe not. I do apologize. I mean, they have um, the 19th pick. I'm sorry, 19th. So they're still top 20. But, yeah, if it was a way for them to potentially move up, I would do it. But if I were them – I would, with the picks they have, I would either look for offensive line help or I would just continue to build their defense because that's the calling card of their team. So why not continue to add a strength on a strength? And like I said, the way that their team is constructed, they, they could win the division just off their defense alone. So I would either look for O-line help because regardless of who you have, your quarterback, you need to protect them, whether it's Taylor Heineke or um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if you don't want to go O-line, you don't like the prospects there, just go defense. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Honestly, I think O-line would be great. Or if there was some type of way that Kyle Pitts would fall to them, I think that that would be a great fit. If anything, I think trading up for a player like Kyle Pitts would be a really good move. While, I, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he does. He's not going to play forever. Taylor Heineke, we saw some great things for him, but you aren't sure if you really 
are ready to build your team around them. So because of that, I can understand the questions around it. But my first pick, I think that no matter, like you said, no matter who you have, you have to be able to protect your quarterback. So I would either go O-line or, like I said, if Kyle Pitts fell into the laps, I think that that would be a great move. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. So this past year, it was tough for football fans, especially those who wanted to be in stadiums. Most um, most stadiums decided not to have fans, or if they did, it was a low percentage. However, Roger Goodell spoke early this week saying that the NFL expects to have full stadiums this season. Do you think that that is a good idea? No, I don't, because people, for whatever reason, now that they've released this vaccine and people are starting to get it, people have just, and the numbers are down, people are just thinking that things are going to just go right back to normal. And the reality of it is that that's not the case because you're still going to have people that aren't vaccinated. So how are you going to have a full stadium of fans? Because are you going to check for vaccination cards at every entrance? And if you aren't, then you are all fans going to be required to wear masks. And we know it's a large stadium. You won't be able to be in control of every person in the stadium. So I think it's a bad idea. I think that, you know, it should be still at a moderation and not the full capacity of a stadium. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you as well. I think that, like you said, just because numbers are going down, it's not like, oh, COVID is completely gone because that's not the case. There still are cases. And let's be honest, people aren't going to follow rules. You can say, oh, wear a mask. But if you want to drink a beer or if you want to eat something, because let's be honest, if stadiums are going to be open, they're going to sell food. That's a big way that the stadiums make a profit. So it's not like masks are going to be wore worn 24-7. They're not going to social distance, especially for really passionate fans like Packers fans or Browns fans. Like, they're not going to do that. And so I don't think it's a good idea to go back to full capacity. I like that they are trying to bring fans back, but I feel like trying to rush everybody back in at one time is only going to make, I think it's only going to cause more harm than good. And I just, I don't think it'd be that good of a move. Speaking of things that, of things that I don't think are necessarily that good of the move, it was announced just a few days ago that beginning the 2021-2022 season, the regular season is going to be extended to 17 games. Uh, the regular season length is going to be increased to 18 weeks. The added game will feature teams from opposing conferences that finished in the same place within their division the previous season. Um, and preseason is going to be reduced to three games per team. Ethan, I don't know if you have had a chance to look at the new matchups, but if you haven't, I can go ahead and read them off for you. Oh. Uh... Yeah, read them off because I saw it, but I can't remember. All right, I got you. All right, so Packers and Chiefs, Seahawks and Steelers, Saints and Titans, uh, Washington football team and the Bills, uh, Bears and Raiders, Rams and Ravens, Colts and Bucks, Giants and Dolphins, Vikings and Chargers, Cardinals and Browns, Panthers and Texans, Patriots and Cowboys, Eagles and Jets, Jags and Falcons, 49ers and Bengals, and Broncos and Lions. So, based off of the current each team's current roster, not including the draft, of course, which game do you think sounds like it'll be the most exciting? That's easy. 
It's the State Farm Bowl. Yeah, it's the State Farm Bowl. You will have AA run, Mr. Discount Double Check versus John Pat Mahomes. It'll be the old Gunslinger versus the new up and coming, um, new up and coming face of the league. And I think, you know, I'm not a big quarterback guy, but like just hearing that alone, it gets me excited for that for like that last week of the season because I would I would love to see that matchup. And I think also just seeing Tyreek Hill go, I know they won't be covering each other, but seeing you know Tyreek Hill and uh, Devontae Adams who will have a bigger game. Um, also, I wouldn't mind the, uh, I wouldn't mind the Ravens and Rams game. That'll be a dope game. It'll be two, two good defenses. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing, I want to see what Lamar would do against Aaron Donald and things of that nature. So those are the two that kind of, outside of the Titans and Saints, those are the two that stuck out to me. All I'm saying is we saw with Aaron Donald and his crew, what happened the last time they played Baltimore, Lamar had five touchdowns. That's all I'm saying. It was a great game, Monday Night Football. Do I think it's going to happen again? No, but. Was Jalen Ramsey play that game? Yes, he did. And I only remember that because that's when him and Marcus Peters got into it. Okay. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah, beautiful stuff. I'm excited for it. Um, For that game as well. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. If, so they added another week. Does that mean it's going to be two? Is it going to be an added bye week? I don't think so. They didn't say anything about a bye week. But, which leads me to my next question. Do you think that it is a good idea that they increase the length of the regular season? Because personally, I don't think so. I I don't think so because, like I just said, like if they were to increase the, increase the season by one game but add another bye week, then I think it would be a good idea because we know that throughout the course of this season, players like players get banged up and you adding another regular season game. Like take for instance like a guy like Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has a massive workload and he carries the ball over three hundred times in a sixteen game season. So how is it gonna look with the seventeen game season? Like that stuff is like added wearing it's a whole another game of added wear and tear on the body that he more than likely wouldn't have had unless they made unless you make the playoffs. Right. So I think if they don't add a buy, I think it's a bad idea. But if they decide to add another buy, I would be fine with it. I don't like I said, I don't I the one thing about a bye week is I feel like if they added another buy, they would have to like really increase the size of a season because sure. Yeah, for every team to get one, and it's not like every team is just going to get a week off because that's losing money, and that defeats the purpose of having the extra week. So I don't think that they would do teams getting more buys. But, yeah, I don't really like it either. Like you said, for injury reasons, for the players, you're already getting a lot of wear and tear on your body, and it's only going to be worse. And then to combat that, who's to say that some of the best players are even going to play that last game? Because if a team is already in the playoffs, what good is it going to do for me to pay, play this other game? If you've already won your division, who cares? And it's like, it's not, it's only going to be so many teams that that last, you know, 17th game is going to have a really big impact on. But for teams that are already in the playoffs, like, more than likely players are going to be rested. They're not, it's not going to have as much of an impact, which is why I just, 
Excuse me. Why I don't think it's that important. I just feel like because let's be honest, you hear seventeen games, you know, eventually it's going to become eighteen games, and it's like, when does it really stop? When are you going to really stop adding different games? I've heard different apparent opinions about it, but personally, I'm against it. Like, don't get me wrong. I love football. Football is easily my favorite sport, but it's just like at some point, I just have to look at these. Like, well, these are people too. And this is still yeah. a lot that they have to go through. I mean, yeah, that's the thing for me. Like, I love football. And, like, it's my favorite sport. It's become my favorite sport as I watched it continuously more. And the thing of it is, is, like, people have to realize, like, yes, these are very real trained athletes, but before they're athletes, they're people. Right. And, like, it's already been a major lawsuit against the NFL for the ramifications of what happened in like former from former players as far as concussions and CTE. So you're going to and I know that they've made leaps and bounds in um, new discoveries of being able to protect players with um from concussions and CTE with helmet design and the way that they teach how to tackle and things of that nature. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day it's still men that are anywhere from 200 to 300 pounds some might be like 185 running full speed and tackling and tackling each other and in the case of like alignment the force the force that they create when they hit a defense alignment is the same force of a small car crash right and you add a whole nother game of that force being put upon the human body like they might it could be they could be okay now, but when they get older, who's to say what type of shape they're going to be in? Like I think you also have to protect because the thing is the NFL loves to protect the shield, but the reality is you can't have the shield if you don't have the players. And at some point, they have to understand that they need to protect the players to get the best product on the field. Yeah, and not to mention another thing like. Teams that have bad offensive lines, quarterbacks who are getting blasted on a weekly basis. Seattle. Seattle, Deshaun Watson in Houston. We saw it a lot in, um, for example, pre Joe Burrow in the days of Andrew Luck. So just imagine how much more problems and how much more hits that quarterbacks would have to sustain with another season. Because let's be honest. Teams, not every team's best player is the quarterback, but quarterback is the most important position in football. And so what you're doing is creating another way for quarterbacks not to be protected. This could potentially lead to some of the best players in the game being taken out because of these at this extra game. And I know you can make the argument, it's just one game, but a lot can happen in just one game. We've seen all too often just one game having a major impact on the rest of players' careers or team seasons. Joe Burrow going down. Um, Saquon Barkley tearing his ACL. Like, injuries happen at any given moment, and it's only going to be worse as more wear and tear gets on players' bodies. But all right, let's go ahead and talk NBA action. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week? Top three takeaways are, um, number one, I don't care what anybody says, but the Utah Jazz are a legitimate team. I've watched them quite frequently, given the fact that they 
I played my Grizzlies like three times in the span of two weeks. And they play a beautiful brand of basketball. They share the ball. They get the ball moving around. They find the open man. They play. They very much resemble that old Spurs thing. They beat the Heat in the um, finals. Number two, uh, Anthony Edwards has to be hands down the funniest dude in the NBA. He is. His own. His own. His interview after they beat the Knicks. Mm mm. So pretty basically what happened was they beat the Knicks in a close game. I think it came down to like a game of um, getting a stop. And he, the reporter asked him like, How, what was um, what was you guys' thoughts process going into the last play? He said, you know, uh, Julius Randle, he's their main guy. So we wanted to get the ball out of his hands. And then it ended up getting in RJ's hands and we let him, we let him shoot it. We wanted him to shoot it. If he, if it went in, it, we lost, but we wanted him to take this shot. Basically saying that, like, they want, yeah, like, saying, like, R.J. Barrett wasn't made to take two shots, and he, they, there was a game plan to force the ball to be in R.J. Barrett's hands at the end of the game. And it was just the way he said it was funny. I can but believe you never, it. But you never hear players legit say, like, oh, we wanted so-and-so, so-and-so to take the shot. We, You always feel like... We executed our defense, our defensive plan and their game plan the way that we want. But you never hear them actually say the players' name that they wanted to take the shot. So yeah. that was funny. I mean, the closest thing we heard to that was when Giannis was talking about James Harden's defense. Like other than that, <laughs> you don't really hear yeah. anything yeah, like in that. All Star game, right? So it was different. No, no, I, I totally understand. But like, you very mm-hmm. rarely hear players call out another player by name about it. But yeah, I hear you. And your other takeaway. My other takeaway is that, you know, these 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 NBA playoffs gonna be kinda gonna look interesting. Miami, they're saying they seem to find their mojo a little bit. They also just added Victor Oladipo and I'm gonna be honest, I think that's gonna be a scary it's gonna be a scary um addition for them because he didn't look too great offensively, but he showed flashes defensively. They, like he locked up still for a couple positions in that game, and it's very tough to do. Yeah. And just you know, people, people really aren't talking about the Lakers right now because LeBron and AD are hurt. But it's like once they get back fully healthy, regardless of what seed they're in, they're going to be one of the best teams in the playoffs. Yeah. So I think on both sides of the um of the com- um, in both conferences, it's going to be an interesting playoffs this year. I feel you on that. All right, so let's talk our Mamba Players of the Week, representing the East, the West, and our rookie. Out of the West, I got Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's just been balling since the All-Star break. East, you know know what I mean. Repping the East, Russell Westbrook. Since the All-Star break, he's been averaging a triple-double, literally just been a man on a mission, had one of the best games of the season against the Pacers, dropping 35-14-21. Really just been taking the team into his own, especially with Bradley Beal battling battling injuries. So I got to show love to Russ. Yeah, I got to go Russ, too, because he's been putting up – he's been looking like the Russell of old, which – isn't bad. Like, you know, it, it's helping him win games. Uh, and it just it just shows his determination and his heart. Like, Bradley Beal is gone. Because he, I know, he's for sure taking the back seat to Bradley Beal because Bradley Beal is the better player at this point in their career. But now that he's hurt, he stepped back into that alpha mentality, that alpha role, and just taking over games. Most definitely. All right, so out of the West, 
This is going to be his first time getting this award, but he's earned it. I'm going DeMar DeRozan. Really just been picking up his play, especially since uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was bought out. Just yesterday, dropped 36 in a double OT game against the Hawks. They didn't win, but he made the shot that got them into overtime. Really just been putting out his best foot forward these last few games. Really just been carrying the team. And I no disrespect to the Spurs. You know, much respect to Greg Popovich, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, man, I wish DeMar was on a team where his talents would be showcased or, like, he would get more nationally televised games so everybody really be able to recognize that this cat can ball. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's not my Mamba player of the week, but it, I think with the um, buyout of LaMarcus Aldridge, he's able to get the spacing that he's always needed within the offense. Like, it was always difficult because – him and LaMarcus Aldridge, they operated from, like, the same parts of the court. They're both predominant mid-range shooters. They are very reluctant to shoot the three ball. And now I think you take LaMarcus out, you add, I don't know who they replaced him in the start lineup with. Maybe it's Kelvin Johnson. But you can add somebody that gives more space, and you can put the ball in DeMar's hand and just let him go. And I think that's what Pop's kind of been doing. And you see the results. Like, he's been a bucket since LaMarcus has been gone. But uh, my Mamba player of the week, I have to go with, I hate to say it, because we, we took an L, but I got to go with John Morant. Balled he, out. He balled out in all the games that they played this week. Um, He was going head up with Mike Conley. Yes, they took an L, but he had 36 points in like seven and six. Do you and feel like it's kind of poetic justice that Mike Conley is the one who sealed that game? Nah, well, yeah, I do, because I think Mike Conley wanted that game, because if we remember last season in the first matchup against the Jazz when Mike Conley came back to Memphis, he didn't play that well, and Ja showed up. So I think he need, he wanted to get that, that, um, that victory over the Grizzlies. And also, I just like the fact that, you know, Ja is being more aggressive. He's attacking the basket. He had like 15 free throws that last game. And he's going. And he's going to Rudy Gobert, which I don't like Rudy Gobert, so I'm glad anybody goes there, Rudy. <laughs> Word on the street is Triple J should be coming back soon. How excited are you for that? I'm excited, but I'm also, I want them to be. I don't want them to try to rush him into anything. I want them to be careful with him because he's a young dude. And he's still, like, he's still growing into his body. Like, people forget, like, in the offseason, they said that he grew to be, like, 7 foot, 7 one, And he was 6'11 in his rookie year. Right. Because he I came into the league really young. Because what? Yeah, I don't think he was he 19. Yeah, he wasn't even, he wasn't even a league. He was, like, barely legal. So right. he might have been 19. But, yeah. I'm excited. I just want to see how he's going to look. I don't want them to rush him into anything. Let him take his time. Let this game come to him and don't try to uh, force anything. I think we'll be, especially if he if he gets his game going towards the latter part of the season, then I think we'll be in prime position to make the play-in tournament and maybe make some noise to potentially head to the playoffs. All right. Rookie Mamba of the week. I'm going Anthony Edwards. You talked about that Knicks game. Dropped 24. Game before that had a double-double against the Nets. Sure, they lost, but he's really, really looked good. I think that he's finally showing the sparks of 
what made him a first overall pick to begin with. And while, of course, LaMelo Ball was balling out, and even some pundits were saying that LaMelo should just win it still based off what he's done, I think that Anthony Edwards is showing why he's a legit candidate for the award. So I'm going Anthony. Yeah, I got to go to He, um, like you said, the game against the Knicks, he had 24. And it was an efficient, it was an efficient 24 because in previous like big scoring outings for him. He was very inefficient, but he shot like he's fifty six from the field. Yeah, he shot like nine to sixteen from the field, which is very efficient. And the coach, um, the interim coach, they pretty much put the keys of the offense in his hands and let him go. And I think that's been really good in helping his development because now he gained, he knows he has the confidence that he can go in, you know, the top players in the NBA. Most deaf. All right, so let's get into some league news. Following this past week of buyouts featuring, like we mentioned, Lamar, LaMarcus Aldridge, who many thought were going to the Heat but ended up signing with the Nets, Andre Drummond being bought out by the Cavs and joining the Lakers. Word on the street is after his toe injury, he should miss no more than two games. So hopefully looking forward to that. And as we know, Blake Griffin, who joined the Nets a couple of weeks ago, Apparently, not everybody is happy about it. In fact, anonymous small market execs had this to say about the recent buyouts. They said, the system is flawed. You shouldn't be adding to your team this deep in the season without giving things up. So, Ethan, do you think that there is an issue with the NBA's buyout season, or do you think that teams are just being bitter? I don't think it's an issue with the I personally do think these teams being bitter and I can certainly I understand why they're being bitter because the thing of the thing the reality is the Nets were a stacked team to begin with and now after the buyout season they just added Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. You added two former All Stars. One of them could depending on who you who you ask could be a Hall of Famer in LaMarcus Aldridge. And, um, like, it's just like the rich get richer. And as a small, as a fan of a small market team, it's frustrating because it's like, you know, you see guys sign up to go to the Lakers and to the Nets or to the Clippers and all of these teams that are quote-unquote championship contenders. And it's like, why it's hard for teams like the Grizzlies to get players because everybody wants to go to a team where they have the opportunity to win the championship. Rightfully so, like, the ultimate goal is to win the championship, but if you are, if you're preferably stacking the deck, then it kind of defeats the purpose. I feel that. On, on the flip side, as a fan of a bigger market team, I mean, players... That's the one thing about a buyout. Players are able to go where they want to go. Essentially, it's another way to get to free agency. And this isn't to say that some small market teams aren't a nice destination. I mean, some players do want to play for Memphis because of what they're trying to build with their organization. Utah is another team that, like, based on their team, they are really trying to grow and build things up. However, you can't hold players hostage. We've seen it many times before. When teams try to put tip players in hostage situations, it literally never goes well. And so I feel like I don't see an issue with buyouts. Of course, you want you want bigger name players to not just go to the big name or winning teams. But it's like if that's where they want to go, that's where they want to go. 
you have your pick of players in the draft, but after that, it's literally players' choice unless you're trading for them. And so because of that, I feel like I can totally understand the frustrations of small markets, but it's also like I feel like it wouldn't be as much hoopla if LaMarcus Aldridge went somewhere else. If LaMarcus Aldridge went to Miami, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If Andre Drummond would have went to like Portland, it wouldn't be this conversation. The problem comes when they join playoff teams or teams that look that are winners. That's when it seems to be an issue. Which is like if you're gonna have this energy, then with about buyouts not being right, you gotta have it everywhere. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some Dennis Schroeder and Lakers news now. After being uh, traded to the Lakers, Dennis Schroeder said earlier in the season that he wanted to spend his, the rest of his career in the purple and gold. However, that may not be the case. Earlier this week, the Lakers offered him a four-year, $84 million deal, but Dennis Schroeder reportedly turned it down. So with his free agency coming up, do you think that the Lakers and Dennis Schroeder will be able to make get a deal done or that his time is limited in L.A.? I think, being honest, I think it depends. I think if they make a run in the playoffs, he'll resign. I ultimately think he's at this point in his career where he's just, he might end up doing some team hopping to chase a ring. Mm-hmm. Because he is, a, he's still a very productive player, but he's not, like, I don't see Dennis Schroeder as a starter on a championship team. He could easily come off the, he could easily be a six man. On like he can honestly go to the Clippers and replace Lou Will, exactly. And it would be no, it would be no problems. But uh, I don't. I think the only way that he stays is if they have like a major run in the playoffs. Which I'm pretty sure they will once everybody gets healthy. I think it's just yeah, just players trying to weigh their options before they. Because that's the thing, like, players nowadays are smart. They aren't just going to sign a deal. They're going to weigh their options first before they sign the deal. Right. And I think that the thing about Dennis Schroeder is, though, I know NBA contracts are so inflated. Like, it'll be cats who barely play 10 minutes a game, seeing over 15 mil a year. But I just think that very few teams would offer you the same opportunity to, one, ring chase, but also make over 20 million a season. And so... If I'm Dennis Schroeder and it's a situation where you're not going to be, you don't have to be the focal point. You get to just be a complimentary player to a team that has arguably the best duo in the league. I don't really see how it gets better than that. So I was surprised to hear it. But I mean, I get it. It's just a matter of where do you think that you would really go where you would get to the best of both worlds? Because you could make a case for the Clippers, but with how much money they have tied up into bigger contracts, you may not get the same money. Um, Brooklyn, if you wanted to just make that argument just because they're hot right now, maybe like it's few teams that will give you the combination of money and legitimate chance to get a ring. But if he's not focused on the money, then yeah, the Clippers will be a great move, which is a team that he was kind of linked to. So I understand weighing your options, but... If I'm Dennis Schroeder, I think that if they are able to win, if the Lakers win another ring, I think that he's going to end up staying. But I wouldn't be surprised if they offer him less money this time around. But speaking of a player who's been offered significantly less money than he would in the past, 
DeMarcus Cousin gets another chance at the league after signing a 10-year deal with the Los Angeles Clippers. Ethan, do you think that he's going to be able to make this deal into something long-term or that he's just going to be bounced around again? I think that... Depending, I honestly think he can make it into something because it depends on what they looking at Boogie to do. Like, are they... I don't think... If they're looking for him to be their sign dominate presence that he was um, pre, pre-injury then they aren't going to get that. And the thing of it is, is you can put, you can just have Boogie be put in pick and pop, pick and roll situations. Maybe they'll occasionally post up. And the only thing with it is, the sad part is, he could get played off the court in today's NBA because he was never really that great of a pick and roll defender because he was already like limited mobility, limited, yeah, mobility early in his career because of his weight. And now after the injury, he might still be a tad bit more limited in his mobility. But if you're looking for him to – because he honestly could potentially provide a spark off the bench as far as scoring. Like, yes, his his field goal percentage wasn't that great in Houston, but he showed like a couple of flashes that he could still be a 15 and 8 type of player. So it just depends on what they're looking for him to do. I feel you on that. All right, so let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery, starting with James Harden, who this past Sunday vehemently said that he feels like he is the MVP. Do you agree with that statement? Is that believable or buffoonery, or do you think that somebody else is more deserving? I will put it like this. At the present moment, I feel like James Harden is the MVP. With the caveat of being completely honest, all of the real MVP candidates, in my opinion, are hurt. Are hurt. Yeah. Like, Joel Embiid, who, in my opinion, before he got hurt, was a shoe-in for the MVP. He's hurt. LeBron's hurt. And um, I don't know if Giannis is back, but Giannis was hurt. I th- Giannis so, is back. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's easy to step in to the spotlight of the MVP race when honestly like three or four of the top guys you're competing against aren't on the court. I think that something else also that should be stated is like you like the numbers look great for James Harden, but also look at who who he's around. You know what I'm saying? Like it because Kyrie has still been balling. KD hasn't come back yet, but we know who KD is like he has a good amount of talent around him. And so because of that, and like you said, compared to other guys who LeBron, he was playing the best that he could. He went down. AD hasn't played in over 20 games now. Joel Embiid, compare his talent to that of the Nets, and there you go. Not to mention even Giannis. So it's like it's easier to play better when teams can't just focus on you. Like James Harden is a – you can make the argument he's a better player than Kyrie Irving, but – Kyrie Irving is still a dog. Kyrie can still drop 30 on you. What other team that I mentioned, Lakers, um, Lakers, Philly, and Milwaukee, Beside, of course, with AD out, who else do you trust to drop 30? And so I think that because James Harden's situation, he has a lot more talent around him, it allows him to play more free and to play great, which he has been playing amazing this year. 
But if you ask me, he wouldn't be my MVP. I would still go Joel Embiid, especially because he's supposed to be coming back uh, this Saturday after three weeks, and I'm excited to see him go. And if he can still provide the same the same spice and the same impact that he had before he got hurt, I think that he's still a lock for MVP. Barring some crazy change, he's still my pick. All right, moving on to the next part of believable or buffoonery. As I mentioned a little bit ago, we talked about Russell Westbrook's uh, 34, 34, 35, 34, 14, and 21 game. However, Stephen A. Smith on his show said that he was not impressed and pretty much said that Russ is just all flash, doesn't really believe that he is that great. He's not that impressed. To that Russell Westbrook, I'm not going to read the full quote, but on criticisms of his legacy said, I was a champion once I made it to the NBA. I grew up in the streets. I'm a champion. One thing I won't allow to happen anymore is to let people create narratives and constantly talk shit for no reason about me because I lay it on the line every night and I use my platform to be to be able to help people all across the world. He also made comments regarding um, not protecting not having a ring and then the players some players who do have the ring and being miserable also just about being happy he said a lot of stuff and made a good point however do you feel like because he does not have a championship ring that it will diminish his overall legacy no I think being honest like yes having the championship puts people into another stratosphere but it's a lot of great players that are in a high stratosphere in high status in the um, NBA without a championship. I mean, Charles Barkley, he's one. Like, yes, a lot of people. Carl Malone, John Stockton, Patrick Ewing. I can't rock with Carl Malone. Understandable. I mean, as a player specifically. Yeah, as a player. But, yeah, like, it's a lot of guys that don't have rings that have a lot of high stature in the NBA. And the thing is, it's like, in this era of the NBA, like how valuable are rings because now it's the whole everybody teams up maybe like right. KD KD won two rings with Golden State and he openly admitted that he wasn't happy and the reason why was because everybody A still called him a snake B, Cupcake Cupcake and kept reiterating his championships with Golden State were invalid. Yeah. Because he team he joined the team he joined arguably the best team ever assembled at that at this current point in time. So I think that a lot of people like having a ring push you in a, uh gives you a life status. But I think especially older individuals, they put too much stock in having a championship. Because the thing of it is is if every great player had a championship, then how many other players were truly great? Like right. Kobe, he had five. That's what separated him was one of the greatest of all time. But you can make Martin the argument Jones. Robert Horry has seven rings, so are you saying he's yeah. one of the best players of all time? Hell no. Yeah. But he was on yeah, great like, teams. Like Michael Jordan had six, but Steve Kerr has, what, five? All right. You so won't you, put them in the same category of each other because obviously we know Michael Jordan on the court was a completely different player than Steve Kerr. So, like, championships that great, don't get me wrong. Like, if I was as a competitor, if I were in the NBA, my, my goal would be to win a championship. But if you are one of those guys that 
you can't win, you didn't win one. It doesn't affect your stock because at the end of the day, in my personal opinion, what people are gonna remember, not what people are gonna remember Russell Westbrook for is not the fact that he doesn't have a championship, it's the fact that when he stepped on the court, he gave it 110. percent Right, and was one of the most athletically gifted players on the court. Because then that begs the question. Ethan, if you had to pick between the quarterback, I mean, not quarterback, point guard, you taking Steve Kerr or are you taking Russell Westbrook? I'm taking Westbrook every time. Why? He doesn't have a ring. Like, that argument sounds stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you just instantly believe having a ring instantly boosts up your legacy. And then kind of what you were saying about KD, his rings are called invalid. So then that begs the question, well, what makes a ring valid? Are LeBron's early rings valid with Miami because he joined up like – when you get to rings, it just becomes such a toxic conversation because it's like there's so many strings attached. Oh, you wrong. Like, even with Kobe, he has five championships. Oh, he got three with Shaq. So are you saying he doesn't, those three rings don't matter? Like, it just, with rings, it's like even when you win them, you have to deal with some BS. You still have to hear other arguments, MJ too. Like, it's 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 complicated. And another thing before I move on, which uh, and another player like CP3, CP3 is one of the most has one of the highest basketball IQs of any player ever, but he doesn't have a ring. So are you gonna try to diminish that too? Like I just feel like it kind of just it's just kind of rust because like Skybrook says, he's not kissing anybody's ass, and he's just gonna be Russell Westbrook. Like I feel like he kind of gets the brunt of these you didn't win a ring or you didn't do this or you didn't do that, but other players don't catch that same hell. And it's like, you don't pay attention to the other stuff that he did. And that's not just me speaking because Russell Westbrook is my favorite player, but because like, it's just frustrating. Like no matter what sport you play, like you can accomplish everything you want, but people will still find a way to tear you down. If you somehow don't win a ring or don't win a championship when it's stuff not in your control. But all right, one more player that we talked about, speaking of uh, different eras, DeMar DeRozan. Candace Parker, former Spark, damn, I can't believe she really left, uh, said this on NBA on TNT, where she said, DeMar DeRozan in any other era of basketball will be one of the greatest players to ever play. Is that believable or buffoonery? That's completely believable because... In the previous areas of the NBA, they valued the mid-range shot and they valued being able to create space way more than they do now because now, currently, they everybody just wants people that can shoot threes and do the analytical things, and DeMar DeRozan is the polar opposite of that. So I definitely feel like he would be a, very, a way better player now Yeah, I agree with that. Like, and even, not even crazy, like, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, just go back to the last generations of the Kobe's and the Tracy McGrady's and the Vince Carter's. He would be a great fit in that era because he has such a similar game to those cats. Like, he relies on his athleticism, like you said, the mid-range game, as opposed to, like you said, with the three-point shot just being so prolific that now even cats seven foot and taller making threes. And even 20 years ago, that was just, that never happened. So it just kind of shows how much the game has changed over the past few years and just how 
different styles of play don't translate as well as others do. But all right, let's make our game picks for tonight, April 2nd, 2021, starting off with the Oh my god, pull it up. All right. The Houston Rockets versus the Boston Celtics. I got Celtics. I got Celtics. Uh Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Memphis Memphis Grizzlies. I got Grizzlies. I got Grizzlies. Who scores more? Anthony Edwards or Ja? Los Angeles Lakers versus the Sacramento Kings. Like I mentioned earlier, Andre Drummond will be out for the Lakers, but I still got them pulling it out. Yeah, me too. Golden State Warriors versus the Toronto Raptors. Steph is out, but the Raptors have kind of been floating in the wind this year. I'm going to go Raptors. Yeah, I got Raptors. Dallas Mavericks versus the New York Knicks. This one's kind of tough, but I think I'm going to go Knicks. Yeah, I'm going to go to Charlotte Hornets versus the Indiana Pacers. I got Pacers. Pacers. Atlanta Hawks versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I got Pelicans. Yeah, I got Pelicans. Chicago Bulls versus the Utah Jazz. I got Utah Jazz. I got Jazz. Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Phoenix Suns. I got Suns. Suns. All right, last game of the night, Milwaukee Bucks versus the Portland Trailblazers. I'm going Bucks. I'm going Trailblazers. And all right, before we close out this bad boy, here are my picks for NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver, starting with night one, NXT Tag Team Championship Triple Threat. It's MSK versus Grizzle Young Vets versus Legado del Fantasma. I got MSK, New Blood, they're the hottest tag team in NXT right now, and I think that putting the championships on them will make it a must-see title. Next up, Pete Dunne versus Kushida, two of the hardest-hitting wrestlers in the biz today. Unfortunately for Kushida, though, I think he suffers another takeover loss, but puts on a great performance. I got Pete Dunne. Next up, gauntlet elimination for the number one contendership. Um, we got Isaiah Swerve Scott versus Leon Ruff versus Bronson Reed versus Cameron Grimes versus Dexter Loomis versus LA Knight. To, in keeping with storylines and keeping with what they are already doing, I'm going to say Dexter Loomis, even though... I would love to see something with Cameron Grimes winning it. I do think that they're going to continue the storyline because, I mean, pretty much everybody in the way has a vested interest with Dexter Loomis. So I'm excited to see how they translate, especially moving on to night two. Moving on to the NXT UK Championship, Walter defending his title for the first time ever against Tommaso Ciampa, even though I know that these are two of the hardest-hitting guys in the business. This match is going to hurt I got Walter. And then finally, NXT Women's Championship, Io Shirai defending her title against Raquel Gonzalez. This match was definitely one of the harder ones to predict just because I can see it going in a myriad of different directions. However, I think that it is finally time that Io loses the title and Raquel Gonzalez is the new NXT Women's Champion, even though... She may not be the most exciting thing for a tag team partner, Dakota Kai. All right, moving on to night two. NXT Women's Tag Team Championship. Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart defending their titles against The Way. As much as I would love for The Way to win this match, 
I see, I see Ember and Shotzi retain it. They haven't had the titles for long, and I think that they're trying to establish them as long-lasting champions. And because of that, I think they keep it on the faces. Moving on to the North American Championship match, Johnny Gargano versus the number one contender, who I already mentioned I felt was going to be Dexter Loomis. I got Johnny Gargano pulling this one out, continuing this interesting storyline. All right, next up, the ladder match for the Unified NXT Cruiserweight Championship. My boo, Santos Escobar, defending his title against also um, Cruiserweight Champion Jordan Devlin. As much as it hurts me to say, I'm going to go Jordan Devlin. I feel like if they're going to bring him to the States full-time, I think that this will be a good way to establish and remind everyone just how good and how talented he is. And so because of that, I think they have him win it. Plus, it won't require Santos Escar to lose the title cleanly, and he can always get a one-on-one -on -one traditional match in hopes of getting it back. Next up, unsanctioned match, Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly in a match that we have been waiting on for months and even though I would love to say my boy Adam here I think that they're really gonna try to treat the situation similar to how they did Tommaso Ciampa with Johnny Gargano who letting the face get the first win so I think Kyle O'Reilly is going to get this victory and then I think it's going to lead on to two more probably more but at least two more great matches between two of the most technically sound guys in the biz and then finally NXT Championship Finn Balor defending his title against Karrion Cross. It's been a long time, but I think that Karrion Cross is able to regain the NXT Championship that he never lost and sends Finn Balor packing from NXT. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Free yourselves of our lovely podcast or our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. As always, I'm Raven X. Thank you guys for so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.